0: On the farm, a way of life may be coming to an end for more dairy farmers in the United States. Will a renegotiated NAFTA deal change that? It's Sunday, September 9th, and I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Welcome to the West Block from Washington DC. Canadian NAFTA negotiators have been in town for two weeks trying to hammer out a deal that needs to reach this place Congress by the end of the month. We'll have an update on those negotiations for you in just a few moments but first one of the outstanding issues for the Americans has been Canada's system of dairy supply management. So we stopped by some American dairy farms to find out firsthand what do farmers think. Welcome to the Myers family farm, set in the idyllic rolling hills of the Catskills in New York State. Seven generations of the family have worked this land with their blood, sweat and tears, making a living as dairy farmers. But that may all be over.
1: If things continue the way they are. I don't picture a farm left in the county or the county below us in another 10, 15 years. Sorry. <laughs>
0: Sullivan County was once one of the largest dairy producing counties in the United States, but now dairy farms are vanishing.
2: It's a major crisis. They might have a contract, but they're not getting paid for the milk. So we're all in a
1: big crisis of trying
2: to survive. And when you don't to have the cows, you do not have a rural America.
0: For the fourth year in a row, the price of milk is below the cost of producing it, so it's hard to make ends meet. Between plummeting prices and large commercial producers expanding, family farms are struggling. Sixty farms have vanished in the last 40 years here, and six more could go under in the next month alone. The Myers family farm is surviving day to day right now, but it may not make it until October. Dairy has been a key sticking point in the NAFTA negotiations, with President Trump demanding Canada's supply management system be dismantled to alleviate American farmers' woes. President Trump has threatened tariffs on autos if Canada doesn't cave on dairy, which could affect hundreds of thousands of Canadian jobs.
1: It would produce a significant increase in the price of automobiles uh, because uh, most of them will contain ca- content from two or all three of the countries in question, if you're going to put on tariffs, particularly on parts, uh, you're raising prices.
0: But is NAFTA or the Canadian cartel really the problem for U.S. farmers?
1: The oversupply of milk and possibly some sort of supply management system.
0: New York farmers the West Block spoke to said they'd like more access to the Canadian market. But rather than tell Canada to get rid of supply management, they'd like a made-in-America version for themselves.
1: When we were younger, we said that we weren't going to be the generation to let it end either.
0: And we hope that we're not. (laughs) the latest on the NAFTA negotiations, Foreign Affairs Minister Christopher Freeland joins me now. Thank you so much for being here today. It is great to be with you, Mercedes, and congratulations on the launch of your show. Thank you so much. So we've been staking out uh, the United States Trade Representative's office. I noticed. <laughs> you might have seen us out there a few times. And today, one of Trump's senior trade advisors, Larry Kudlow, came out and said, there's one thing standing in the way of the NAFTA deal, and it's MILK. Is there any flexibility here
3: on there? At the beginning of last week, when this very intensive round of negotiations began, Ambassador Lighthizer and I, the USTR, agreed that we would not be negotiating in public. Uh, We would keep the negotiations to the negotiating table. And that agreement has really helped us to maintain a professional atmosphere around the negotiating table, an atmosphere of real goodwill, and a real effort to work together to achieve a landing zone. So I'm gonna stick to that. And what I will say about Larry, whom I know well from my days as a journalist, is he's not at the negotiating table.
0: In previous trade agreements like CETA or the TPP, previous Canadian government said, okay, we'll crack the dairy market a little bit and supply management is still intact. Could something like that be an option where you wouldn't get rid of supply management, but you might give Donald Trump the win he's looking for? So Canada, absolutely. We have now been doing this
3: for more than a year. And Ambassador Lighthizer and I sometimes joke that we could trade seats and sit in each other's chairs. We know each other's positions so well that we know each other's lines. Uh, We understand very well what the U.S. needs to get a deal. And I hope the U.S. understands very clearly what Canada needs. And I do think that... A, deal, a good deal for both countries, for all three countries, is absolutely possible. It's going to take flexibility on all sides.
0: If it comes down to it and you don't have a deal and Donald Trump follows through on his threat, which he was making again today on the tariff saying it would be the economic ruination of Canada, is that a chance you're willing to take? So as we have said from the outset,
3: as the Prime Minister has repeated this week, Canada wants a good deal not just any deal. Uh, And I feel extremely confident in that position. And I know that that is the position of Canadians. We're going to get a deal, which is a good deal for Canada. And we are not going to, you know, we're serious when we say no deal is better than a bad deal. Um, And it's very important for
0: us to be firm and clear in that position. Part of that national interest has been when you talk to people behind the scenes, that they say, look, the Americans are testing us, they're probing. At the end of the day, they do want a deal. So I found it fascinating when last week we found out uh, from Bob Woodward's book that one of the documents on Donald Trump's desk was apparently to announce the withdrawal from NAFTA and he was prepared to sign it. It seems like he may not be completely bluffing that he'd consider pulling out. Did that revelation concern you? So I have always taken
3: the president at his word. He is the president of the United States, and we need to respect his office. Uh, And I certainly do. Uh, Having said that, I very much believe that the U.S. would like a deal. So would Canada. We are negotiating in good faith. Uh, the mood, the atmosphere at the negotiating table is
0: absolutely positive. Well, Canadians and Americans both like jobs, of course, like having them. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not just the president who's going to decide on NAFTA. It's also Congress. How much has been going on behind the scenes in terms of quiet diplomacy there trying to recruit people onto your side who might be able to balance out the president? You know, Mercedes, I wouldn't
3: put it in those terms at all. Um, Canada understands uh, that in the U.S. political system, the Congress has an essential voice when it comes to trade. And so it's our job uh, to talk to Congress, uh, to listen to Congress. When senators, congressmen and women want to hear what the Canadian story is, want to learn more about their state's or their district's relationship with Canada, it's important for us to be there and to talk to them about that.
0: Journalists are sensitive to deadlines. You were a journalist. There have been, it seems, an endless series of deadlines in the NAFTA negotiations, the most recent one blown past. How real is this upcoming deadline to get text to Congress by the end of the month? Is it really a drop-dead date?
3: You know, I think that's really a question for the U.S. Uh, That's about the U.S. legislative process. When it comes to Canada, our focus from the outset and our focus today is getting a deal that works for Canada. Getting that deal, mindful of the need to have flexibility on both sides, mindful of the need to look for compromises that both sides can live with, And at the end of the day, always really mindful of our national interest. So that's what we're focused on.
0: At the end of the day, if you have to choose between dairy and auto, how do you make that decision?
3: When it comes to the shape of the deal, um, what I can say is we are looking for a deal which is balanced. Uh, and we're looking for a deal which is good for Canadians, which is good for Canadian workers, which is good for Canadian families, good for Canadian farmers.
0: Minister Freeland, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it.
3: Great to talk to you, Mercedes, and thank you for coming here to Washington. And thank you and all the journalists who have been covering these talks, sweltering on the sidewalk (laughs) outside USTR. No, it's, I mean, um, the work of journalists is a really important part of good government and of our democracies. And these have been, I think, very difficult talks, intense, strenuous for our negotiators and also our reporters. So thank you for making
0: the trip. Thank you. Up next, we'll talk to a powerful American congressman from the House Ways and Means Committee about what he and his colleagues want to see in a NAFTA agreement. Welcome back. A final deal on NAFTA will need congressional approval, but given the November U.S. midterm elections, negotiators need to get a deal to Congress by the end of the month. We sat down with Tom Reed, an influential member of the House Ways and Means Committee, and a congressman who will have a say in what NAFTA deal goes ahead. Here's that interview. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me on, Mercedes.
0: The President says there needs to be a new NAFTA deal and it needs to be a good deal. What does a good deal look like for the United States?
2: You know, what we're looking for is a fair deal at its core and an opportunity to trade with our partners, not only in Canada, but also in Mexico under the NAFTA negotiations. But this new trade policy that the president is pushing forward is about disrupting trade and getting it to a position where it's equal trade. And that's essentially the position we're moving forward with.
0: Does that mean that Canada has to get rid of supply management in your view?
2: You know, it's not necessarily has to get rid of it, but it has to recognize that it has to open its markets more uh, to uh, our dairy farmers and and uh, uh, our folks uh, in, in America. And, uh, you know, many uh, have seen this market over the last few decades from an American point of view as just being off the table. And, you know, you see things with ultra-filtered milk and other issues that have cropped up, and I will tell you, we're... We're just interested in breaking those barriers and having a a solid relationship with our partners to the north.
0: Do you think that if the Canadian government agreed to crack that market open a little bit, that might be enough?
2: I think that's a great start, and and maybe it is. I'll leave that to the negotiators uh, to fine-tune those details but I think that's exactly what we're trying to do.
0: We had an opportunity to go and visit some of the dairy farms near your district. Absolutely beautiful but one of the things that those farmers were telling us is it's not so much NAFTA that they see as the problem but the price of milk here in the U.S. and they'd actually like a similar system to the one that Canada has.
2: You know I've heard uh, some folks uh, you know they're worried Uh, and and I travel our district and we have a lot of dairy farmers and, and I understand Uh, their concern. At the price of milk today, they're struggling. They're struggling to keep these family farms together. Uh, And that's where we have to look at the big picture. We have to look at the long term. And and I don't think price uh, fixing from an American's point of view, uh, price control, uh, setting uh, prices by government fiat uh, is good sound policy long term. What we need to do is stabilize the market both on the demand side, which trade negotiations are all about, but also on the supply side.
0: What happens if Canada and the United States can't come to an agreement and this proceeds as Mexico, U.S. only? Is that something you'd vote for?
2: Well, you know, obviously we'll take whatever uh, agreement comes before us and have to vote yes or no. That's my job as an elected representative. Uh, My hope is that we can get this done with Mexico and Canada at the same time. Uh, But it's clear. uh, We need to move forward. Uh, One of the marketplaces that's very important to, to our dairy farmers is Mexico. Uh, they're one of our largest exporters and receivers of our exported milk and so for example having the opportunity to settle that question is critical to many of us as members of Congress and we're ready to proceed to go forward but my hope and my guess uh, looking at this is we have a long-term relationship with Canada, long-term relationship with Mexico. We're, we're essentially a family. We're having an internal squabble uh, right now, and I understand the anxiety that that brings, but uh, what we can do is get this done, and my hope is that is what will occur, and I'm confident it will.
0: The president has been at the forefront of negotiating this, sometimes on Twitter. Do you think he's done a good job so far?
2: What the president has done, this is what I appreciate about the president, is he's a disruptor. Uh, he's bringing a new style clearly uh, to the White House and to the administration. And I know that comes with anxiety and fear with a lot of folks, especially here in D.C., inside the Beltway, that are not used to this type of style. But being a New Yorker and a fellow New Yorker uh, somewhat, maybe I get it a little bit more than others. But, you know, what he's bringing is that disruption. And he's also very clear as to what he's trying to achieve. He did it. He set it on the campaign trail it's time to reestablish trade policy in America with American interests being treated equally on the same field as others.
0: Do you think some of the chaos that we've seen in the White House, or at least the discord, has had an impact on negotiations for NAFTA?
2: Well, obviously, I think anytime you have a disruptor and somebody who's not following the status quo, folks that are used to that for decades, I know many of our negotiators, that they're used to a certain style, they're used to an expectation of how this is done. And that causes uh, folks maybe to, to look at this in a, in a, in a way that causes anxiety. Uh, what I tell folks is just recognize the field you're on and recognize that at its core, we have common interests. We have a common interest as Canadians, as Americans, and as Mexicans to get this resolved. And I think at the end of the day, uh, that's where we end up. And that's good for all of us in this hemisphere because we got to pivot uh, from this point to the real issue of trade that's that elephant in the room of China. Uh, I think we have a common interest in taking on the Chinese market and say to them, enough is enough as Canadians, Americans, and Mexicans, as well as members of the European Union. It's time for us to settle these differences and unfair practices once and for all.
0: What advice would you give to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau or our foreign affairs minister who are trying to negotiate this deal?
2: Stay at the table. Stay at the table. I know it may be difficult. I know that you know, I've heard from many folks, and met with many of your members of Parliament and people in Canada that we know and have spent uh, time talking with folks, and I understand how sensitive uh, the dairy industry is in Canada. Some described it as the third rail of politics, us, it's Social Security and Medicare. In Canada, I hear dairy uh, is one of those types of, of issues politically. Take on these political concerns head on, stay at the table, and recognize we have a shared common interest of settling this together.
0: As the clock ticks down and we're looking at an AFTA deal that will end up in front of Congress, in front of you, what kind of deal do you need to see to vote for it? You
2: know, fundamentally at its core, I need to see access that is fair and no no preference, um, essentially, just that we recognize that it's a fair deal, that it it provides us an opportunity to compete uh, equally. And uh, if we achieve that, I'm very confident Uh, that we can work out these details.
0: Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Great to be with you. Coming up, chaos at the White House. Who's in charge and what does it mean for Canada? Welcome back. Chaos at the White House has some in Washington wondering if the wheels are coming off the Trump presidency after a book by Bob Woodward detailed senior aides removing documents from the president's desk to prevent him from signing them. Also, an anonymous op-ed that shook the Capitol alleging that there is an internal resistance to Donald Trump inside the administration. This is what the president had to say about that
2: article. The latest act of resistance is the op-ed published In the failing New York Times by an anonymous, really an anonymous, gutless, coward, you just look. He was, uh, nobody knows who the hell he is or she, although they put he, but probably that's a little disguised that means it's she.
0: Welcome back to the West Block. Joining me now is Charlie Black. Charlie, you have worked on every presidential campaign since 1972, including George Bush's and John McCain's, and more recently, Governor John Kasich. Charlie, sitting here this past week with the news coming out of the White House, the allegations that are made in Bob Woodward's book, and that unsigned New York Times editorial, who is in charge in the White House?
1: Well, you know what? Donald Trump is in charge, and he's a a different president. He came in from a totally different perspective, never having run for office before. The American people selected him uh, for that purpose, I believe. And so he doesn't operate by our normal rules and and traditions and expectations around here. But uh, he's done some good things, and he's got some good accomplishments, but there's a lot of chaos that goes along with it.
0: Are you concerned when you hear allegations from senior staff who are saying that Donald Trump is an idiot and that they don't know what he might do?
1: Well, I'm not too worried about it because I've known him for many years. And uh, he has a temper and he's erratic, but uh, in the end, he takes advice. And, for example, on national security matters, he listens to uh, General Jim Mattis, the secretary of defense. Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, John Bolton, the National Security Advisor. In the end, he takes their advice. So on the most important things affecting our country, I I think he's uh, going to be okay.
0: What do you make of the unsigned New York Times editorial? And the president says the person who wrote it is a traitor.
1: You know, we've had, every administration has had leaks from uh, people who were disgruntled or who wanted to criticize the president. But, you know, an unsigned editorial is a little bit... uh, a little bit more than what we've seen before but um you know it's uh it's not going to change things that'll blow over in a couple of days but trump will always be controversial even among people whom he, whom he has hired
0: charlie what do establishment republicans like yourself make of donald trump who's a very unconventional president
1: you know the uh establishment including the congressional leadership and a lot of republican members of congress and senators have learned that that he's not going to ever change and and act in a more traditional fashion so they try to influence him uh to do the right things from a policy standpoint now the big differences between Donald Trump and the Republican Party on policy are on trade and immigration and on the rest of the things like the economy and tax cuts and and uh strengthening national defense he's been good so uh It's a good news, bad news scenario, but even on things like trade and NAFTA, he's going to come around and we're going to get a deal.
0: Now, I'm actually curious about that because in Bob Woodward's book, he says that there was a draft document on Trump's desk about NAFTA. He was prepared to sign it and pull out. Do you think he actually would have done that?
1: Well, he might have if he didn't get good advice from somebody else. But listen, if if you grew up doing real estate development deals, you take a very strong position, strongest position you can, and then negotiate from there. And so he's still taking that approach. So if you want to renegotiate a trade agreement, his idea is well, let's just cancel it and start over. Well, that's not how things work. On trade agreements like NAFTA, they are treaties, and other countries have a say in their renegotiation, and then Congress has to approve it. So he's got limits on what he can do, and yes he does have the executive power to impose tariffs in a number of areas, not not everywhere, but um, on on renegotiation of the the trade deals, uh, Congress has a big say in it. That's why I think eventually, not this week, not this weekend, but we'll get a a NAFTA uh, new agreement completed, which Congress will approve.
0: At what point do you think the Republicans in Congress would be willing to intervene?
1: Well, I think some of that's going on in a low-key way already. But um, the good news is we're close to a deal with Mexico, and Canada's back negotiating with us, Um, and uh, Minister Freeland is an excellent negotiator and an excellent spokesperson for Canada's interests, so I think, I'm hopeful, maybe not this week, maybe next week or even the week after, that the U.S. and Canada will get together and that it will be an agreement that is a win-win for Canada and the U.S., as well as Mexico.
0: What is the perception in Republican circles in Washington right now of the Canadian government and the state of Canada-U.S. relations?
1: Well, uh, among Republicans and Democrats, uh, there's a consensus in this country that Canada is our best friend and our biggest trading partner and our strong ally in international matters. So that won't change no matter who's in charge of the different governments. But certainly we view uh, Prime Minister Trudeau as more liberal and different policy-wise than our government or our party here, but that said, he's been more than willing to work with President Trump and to, to work with us, Congress. So uh, I think we have still have a good relationship, and, uh, ex- again, I expect the NAFTA agreement to get done.
0: Are you concerned that President Trump's actions and the things that he's saying in public could damage the Republicans who are running in the midterm elections?
1: Oh, yes, but, you know, historically, the party in power in the White House, that party loses seats in Congress, House and Senate, and midterm elections. So uh, certainly he's unpopular for some things that Democrats will use against the Republican candidates. And I don't know how bad the results going to be, but we expect to lose seats one way or the other. Actually, we might pick up Senate seats and lose House seats is what it looks like to me.
0: Charlie Black, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Mercedes. It's a pleasure.
0: That's our show for this week. For extended interviews, go to our website, thewestblock.ca. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and I'll see you next Sunday.